I'm Kate Daniels. We see signs of mental illness all around us, very often in the people living homeless and on city streets. While this may have occurred in adulthood, we're going to meet Dr. Cheryl Almatine, Medical Director of the Virginia Treatment Center for Children and Professor of Psychiatry at Virginia Commonwealth University Department of Psychiatry. And we're going to learn about mental illness occurring in children. In fact, half of mental illnesses start before age 14. This being the case, we need to get a better understanding and then be proactive on behalf of these, our children, and help them and their families. Dr. Almatine, good morning, and many thanks for being with us this morning. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity because here we are going to speak about such an incredibly important subject, that of mental health, mental illness, and we know what a challenge it is in our society today. Your focus is on youth, and of course, then it makes all that much more sense that these things we become aware of, uh, this illness, starts to happen more so in childhood. And it's astounding at what the the numbers are, that evidently half of uh, children have some form of mental illness. Well, actually, about one-fifth of children have a form of mental illness, but what we know is that half of all mental health disorders show up before a person turns 14, and then three-quarters of mental health disorders begin before the age of 24. So it's really important for us to think about children, tweens, teens, all youth, and recognizing that it is very likely that mental illness that will follow them later will begin to show up during their youth. So we see, because we see the adults now here in our present, as children, they no doubt were displaying some sort of uh, behavior. Uh, I guess it would be behavior. Is that is that what you look at? Uh, Very often we're looking at behavior. That's the first thing that other people can notice. And the other thing is that they they may have thoughts that they don't feel comfortable sharing with others um, or that others aren't recognizing that are there. One of the things that happens just as a natural part of adolescence is that kids tend not to talk to their parents as much, um, maybe more likely to talk to their friends, um, or at any time during their youth, folks may feel that, uh, oh, it's just a phase, it doesn't matter, that, you know, kids are resilient, that feeling will go away, and it doesn't often go away. So it's important for us as parents, as teachers, as folks who work with children to to think about that maybe this is something that's serious and, and follow through and make sure we try to understand. So we see how much of a community collaboration this really is because our, our kids are off at school uh, for a good number of hours during the day. So teachers potentially uh, will have that opportunity to to keep an eye on this. Yes, teachers, counselors, everyone that's working in schools. And um, teachers often know that they are uh, a go-to person for a particular child, and many teachers recognize that responsibility and, and, and carry that on, let parents know if they're concerned about their children or let um, 
you know, the other folks at the school know. So I think when we look at that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, this is absolutely part of that. And we see how critically important this is, not just for the fact that here's this young human being becoming, but it really, if it if we don't take care of this, it, we see how it creates such terrible issues in the future. Absolutely. When we have someone who uh, has unmet mental health needs, uh, that can cause difficulty in social relationships. It can cause a problem in academic performance. It can lead to substance abuse. Uh, it can increase the severity of whatever the illness is, and so that could result in an increased rate of suicide and can continue to have the child will continue to have more problems in adulthood. And so finding what, what's happening, finding out what's happening earlier helps increase the functioning of the individual later in life. So what are some of the conditions, or maybe we can touch on all of them, maybe it's kept as a, a narrow list of conditions that children face, or, well, what are they? There are mental health issues that range from ADD, um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and anxiety through depression. There's autism spectrum disorder. Um, there can be... Um, psychosis, there can be substance abuse, there can be eating disorders. Almost everything that we see in adults is something that can also be seen in children. So that is quite a list. And there's just so much riding on this. And part of what we're doing this morning is educating. But what is your feeling, Dr. Amatine? Are are we aware enough, and particularly those in professional situations like teachers, uh, not wanting to put burden on their shoulders, but are teachers enough aware, made enough aware? I think that it's, I think it depends on the locality. I think that I've met teachers who have a strong awareness of mental mental health issues and wanting to identify it in the children that they're working with. I've met teachers who may uh, be in a situation where they're recognizing things, but perhaps the system in which they're operating is not supportive of this. I've seen situations where the school is recognizing that something is going on, but the parents may not be willing to recognize that there's something that's going on with their child and that their child might need help. So I think that we all have to get past the, the concept of stigma, feeling that um, mental illness is not something that's going to happen with this child in this situation, um, or it doesn't happen with our children here, or it only happens with those children over there. And I think recognizing that mental illness is something that's there, mental health problems are there, and that there's something that can be done to help. There are places where there's also a shortage of um, mental um, mental health services and there may be a long waiting list. And so there's that whole combination of things that can happen that makes it hard for a young person to get help. So the stigma is probably one of the biggest hurdles, would you say? Yes, I would say that stigma is a huge hurdle. And we see that not just in children, but, but in um, adults. 
and people not wanting to uh, believe that this is something that could affect the, their, themselves as an individual or, or even their family. And, of course, education helps, but how do we really grapple with that, overcome having the stigma, because certainly ignoring it is not going to make the situation any better? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a cultural thing, and I think we are making strides. We hear uh, celebrities let us know that they have depression or that they have bipolar disorder, and so we're seeing those folks function and, and feel comfortable talking about it. Um, we are seeing, at times, better coverage for mental illness as far as health insurance is concerned. And so we, we are fighting it. It is becoming something that's talked about more. There now, I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and now when I go in and I'm talking to a group of kids from a school or a group of kids from the community, and I say, does anyone know anyone who's seen a child psychiatrist? Many, many hands are raised, or people are nodding. It's not what used to happen earlier in my career where people look like, no, and why are you here talking to us? So I think that, uh, that we're doing a better job as far as stigma is concerned, but there's still a ways for us to go. And you just touched on mentioning of health coverage for mental health conditions. This still seems to have a long way to go. Uh, Yes. In many instances, there is a requirement for parity, meaning that there has to be as much coverage for mental health issues as there are for other health disorders, but I think there um, may be some policies where there, some existing policies where they're covering smaller organizations, and that might not be as much the case. But it's, we, we're making strides. We are definitely making strides. And I can see where a parent who really wants to get the support and attention for their child, but if they're isn't the the health coverage uh, it feels as though their hands are tied and and they are uh, battling you know going upstream with this uh yes now there is always community there are always community mental health services it's just depending on the area in which someone lives that there may be some distance to get to it and you know a, a bit of a drive but there are also strides being made in the provision of telemedicine or telepsychiatry to make that more available to folks. So this is a process that is ongoing, uh, but first recognizing that something is happening with the child, um, recognizing that there are changes for parents, for teachers, uh, for people who spend a great deal of time with certain children to recognize that there are differences and being comfortable to talk with parents um, about that is the first step for all of us. So for a parent who perhaps is noticing something with their child, perhaps it's depression, uh, perhaps it's an eating disorder, what would be a way for them to move forward? What is going to help them to feel supported and like they're, they're really giving this the attention it needs? The first 
best thing for the parent to do is to start with their pediatrician or their primary health care provider. That is the best way to get connected with the mental health system because uh, the system can be complicated in, in different places. So you start with your pediatrician, make an appointment, say, I'm really worried about my child for X, Y, or Z reason. I'm worried that her grades have changed or that she's having a lot of bad dreams or she's worried a lot or he's having really big temper tantrums and I don't understand why or you may not be able to identify exactly what it is, but the thing is, is is that you've noticed that there's a change in what's happening with your child. And one of the things is that when we're looking at children, uh, tweens, and we're looking at teens, they're growing up and developing, and so it's complicated by the fact that they're changing all the time. So you can use your own children, your other children as a, a benchmark, kind of. Um, have milestones been reached? Are changes in temper or, or differences in behavior really different from the other kids in that family or very different from your child's friends? Or does your child really not have a lot of friends? And then trying to understand where all of these things may be coming from. And then you can take that information to your primary care provider. That person can let you know, oh, this is something that is within the, the realm of normal development, or um, I'm a little bit worried uh, that this might be something that's not quite normal. Let's come back and check on this in a few weeks or a month or so. And then that way you're having a conversation and you've got someone who's keeping an eye on what's happening with this with your child, and you're not in this alone. And do you feel, Dr. Almatine, that there would be positive support. I'm I'm thinking uh, that uh, someone in their position might say, oh, you know, it's just a phase. Don't worry about it. Does that ever happen? I think that can, it might happen sometimes, but I think that the parent who is then recognizing, you know, I think this is more than just a phase and then has that conversation with the pediatrician, with the primary care provider, then, then that will be what will help that person understand. Because sometimes it is a brief blip in their development and it's just lasting for a couple of weeks. But if it's something that continues to be ongoing, then, then we go back and talk to the pediatrician or to the, you know, the, the family practice person and find out what is, you know, find out what else we can do to get help. And then to what the causes may be, certainly there's a lot that's going on in our world and children are uh, open to seeing so much because of the media or just because, uh, you know, I think about the, the tragedies of all the shootings that the children are involved in, that will certainly cause trauma. But what other things might be affecting them? Well, there's mental illness, um, mental health disorders are multifactorial. There can be a biological or genetic risk uh, so that some things run in families, just like brown hair or blonde hair can run in families. Depression can run in families. So that could be a contribute, uh, that could contribute. Uh, there can be psychological factors, low self-esteem, for example, that may relate 
to experiences that the child has had over time. And there can be exactly as you've mentioned, uh, social factors. So exposure to trauma, and that can be trauma inside of the house, outside of the house. It can be in the neighborhood. It can be experiences that happen at school. Um, Difficulty in relationships in the home uh, that aren't aren't physically or uh, sexually abusive, sometimes uh, a divorce, or if parents have um, had their own issues and gone to jail or had other kinds of concerns, Um, if there have been strained social relationships within the neighborhood, Um, if they're having poor school performance, then that's a stressor of its own. Uh, If there has been, as we talked about before, that if there has been a diagnosis or clear mental health need that has not been addressed, then that can be a problem. Uh, when we look at the experiences that children can have and we and we're looking at what can happen in their family, so we can have children who have had exposure to domestic violence, seeing their parents fight or seeing something happen with their siblings or someone has been sexually inappropriate with those children uh, or if they've been bullied at school, if a family member has gone to jail, if an adult family member or another family member has a problem with substance abuse, all of these are adverse childhood experiences, and they can increase the likelihood that there will be mental health uh, needs with these children. And in some of these cases, uh, it'd be great if it were all these cases, you can tell us addressed early on, are we able to really, I'm going to say, correct, heal them, uh, help this child to develop into a, a wonderfully functioning adult? Yes. The earlier we make interventions, the more impact we can have for these children. So really critical to be attentive to this and and seek the ways of dealing with it was like with depression is this something that would be lifelong or is there a way to to really change that course i think it may have to do with some of the things that contribute to the depression Mm. so i'd like you to think of um the concept of managing mental illness is perhaps like managing diabetes Right, It is something that if when you identify it early and you're taking care of it, then there are less uh, serious lifelong sequelae because your glucose, your blood glucose has been managed and kept at a safe level. So there's treatment that goes on um, for years because diabetes is currently a lifelong illness. If depression is something that is heritable for a particular individual. There's a family history of depression. Several people have had depression, and there's a good response to certain medications within that family, and it's recognized, and the family brings the child for treatment, and medication is started. There may be a waxing and waning course of illness throughout their life, but there can be um, a higher level of functioning than if it's considered as, oh, this is depression, we all get depressed, there's nothing that we can do about it. Does that kind yeah. of make, yes. I explain that well? I think that's that's a great way to look at it and puts uh, 
something like depression, a mental illness, into the category of general health rather yeah. than putting it off in a corner and giving it uh, that sense that, uh, you know, we're stigmatizing it. Right. There is a phrase that there is no health without mental health. That's right? po- Yes. So it's, it's kind of your health is not good if your heart is not good. Your health is not good if your mental health is not good. Exactly. And in a way, it feels as though mental health controls everything else, because if we're not going to take care of of the brain and, and all that, well, it just controls everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Certainly as a child psychiatrist, that's the way that I feel. <laughs> well, I you help us to really see it in that vein and to just integrate it into our whole beingness. And if with the statistics being as high as they are, we really do need to pay close attention to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in in terms of if this is goes untreated, you were saying some of the worst case scenarios would be uh, substance abuse and ultimately suicide. And and I would guess that there are many of us who would know of someone who tragically has not gotten help and has taken their life. Yes, yes. Uh, the rate of suicide is uh, depending on the age of the the age, either the second or third uh, highest cause of death in youth today. And this can be prevented. That's the thing that is so, I'm going to say sad, but it's even deeper than that, that these young lives could be saved. They could go on to such a great future, uh, but for lack of enough attention. Right. We want to identify the illness so that we can do the best that we can to to try and treat it. We absolutely, that's what we absolutely need to do. Um, it, it takes a village. Uh, there are so many adults that are available. There are parents, there are teachers, there are other adults in the community that are related, you know, that are close to the family that can be available. And so we all really need to pay attention to what the children are telling us uh, so that we can provide the help that they need. They will give us the information. We have to recognize what we're seeing. And I think today there's just more attention being given, more discussion. Certainly this is helping us to to advance and, and make some progress, would you say? Yes. Absolutely. So keep the conversations going, keep seeking information. And actually, regarding that, where would you direct parents and teachers and any of us wanting more information to go? Well, uh, one place that you can look, there are Facts for Families handouts that are available through the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. That's AACAP. Org. There are a lot of different names of the Facts for Families, and it's right there on the home page. There are examples of helping your child deal with divorce. How do you know that your child might be having a problem? We have dealing with abuse, 
dealing with media violence, alcohol use in families, anxiety in children, um, talking about bipolar disorder, bullying, um, chronic illness, college students with ADHD, concussions. Uh, there's a wide range, helping children cope with disaster. There's a lot of, of resources there on that website, and that's aacap.org. There are a wealth of other websites that can be helpful. The National Alliance for Mental Illness, that's nami.org, that can give information um, about mental illness, not just for children, but also for adults. There's another one called bpkids.org that provides good information about bipolar disorder and what we can see in children and adolescents. Your pediatrician can provide information, and there's also information on the American Academy of Pediatrics website, aap.org, that can provide you some information about general pediatric issues as well as trying to figure out whether or not you um, need to seek mental health treatment. And there's a sub-website called healthychildren.org that uh, speaks to lots of different issues in children's health. Certainly a wealth of information is available quite readily for us. Yes, yes. Well, that's excellent. Thank you for giving us that list, and we'll certainly make it available on our website as well. And it feels as though you have made this your life work, Dr. Almatine. Yes. Uh, and what was it that really drew you to it to begin with? The fact that if I can make a difference in a child or in an adolescent, that really helps their adulthood. When we go into training as child and adolescent psychiatrists, we first have to train as general psychiatrists, learning about working with adults. And often when we see a 35-year-old or a 50-year-old person, their habits are in place. It's really difficult to make changes in some of the self-destructive behaviors that people can have. If we can identify the needs when someone is 10 or 12 or even younger, then it's before a lot of self-destructive kinds of behaviors are in place or before a person feels like they can't make any changes. And so I feel that doing this work earlier is even more useful for society. This doesn't mean that adult psychiatry is not useful. It just means it's a higher it's a higher slope to climb. Yes. Oh, it's just so much common sense in that way and just makes life so much better of course for the individual, but for the family, for the community. So yes. it, there's just logic to it for sure. Yes, right. And any prevention that we can do by recognizing things that can traumatize children and to help prevent that. So as you've talked about, just the idea of how many traumatic things are available in the media, on television, um, in movies, to recognize that 
you know, my child might not be a person that can handle seeing these things, and this is not something that I should continue to expose them to. Recognizing that when we do have these traumatic events that happen that are reported on the news, that we don't watch them over and over and over again, which is one way that we master a traumatic situation, uh, which is by watching it over and over again to feel like maybe we can get a handle on our feelings. And children do that, but may not be able to explain why they're, um, what it is that they're feeling at those times. And so it's important for parents to kick in and to realize, well, now we know the thing that happened at that place at that time, and we need to get back to more childlike kinds of things, or we need to talk about feelings and help them feel uh, like they are safe in their environment and to figure out what they can do as families to help their child feel safer. Dr. Almatine, I'm so grateful that you do this work. It's so critically important, I think, as we've heard throughout this half hour together. I do appreciate then that you've given us this time and educated us to this degree. Thank you so greatly. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm so happy to be able to spend time with you today.